Hello, and welcome back to Talking Talmud. I'm one of your hosts, Jordana Osband, here with my friend, Chabruta Ann Gordon. Our dap today, Masachet Kutubot, dap Pei Zion, page 87. So today we have some interesting discussion about when a woman may have to take an oath, uh, basically saying that she uh, needs payment on her ketubah. There's a long Mishnah that discusses this concept. But before they get to that Mishnah, we have this interesting statement by Rabbah. I'm not going to read the whole thing. Um, and then it sort of continues till the Mishnah, which is a full discussion about what if the husband made some type of provision that she would never have to take an oath about her ketubah. I'm a Rabbah. I'm a Rabbi Chia. Rabbah said in the name of Rabbi Chia, Delo nadar udelo shvua. Right? If a husband basically writes, not a vow and not an oath, right? He cannot make her administer an oath. Basically, she can't make her take an oath. But the heirs can. Right? If she writes, you know, and again, these are translated into English, but obviously the Hebrew made more sense to them, you know, whatever this formulation was. Clear from a vow, clear from an oath. Whether it's him or whether it's the heirs, she's, she doesn't have to swear. Right? Because basically what he's saying to her is you're clear from the oath, no matter who wants to make you do it. Now, again, there's some difference here in the language. I actually have to look at it carefully. I don't completely understand it. Why one includes everybody, meaning him and the Yorshin, and one just includes her. Uh, sorry, one includes just him. Um, but there's some subtlety of language here. And then, you know, the Gemara goes on, you know, Rav Yosef, I'm a Rav Chia, Rav Yosef the opposite about the other clause, right? So they had a different version of this. So again, they had a little bit of a different, uh, you know, uh, formulation here, but it's sort of, it's basically the same teaching. Um, and here they use a different language here, right? Before it was menakit, and here they say, So, um, and then Rabbi Zakai is going to send a ruling from Marukva. So just pay attention to this. This is sort of like a language game, right? Um, and so then finally, the Gemara basically wants to say, right? It asks, right? In other words, let's say you have one of these clauses. This is in the section about Rav Nachman and Shmuel, Right? Um, what do you do, right, as sages, what do you do as Chachamim if you need to co- collect a debt, right, um, from You have to collect a debt for the orphans, and the only way to do it is through some type of shvua, and she would, is she compelled, does she have to take an oath in a case that involves orphans specifically, Right. And basically, you know, basically they're saying that that she can. Specifically in the case of Yatomim, of orphans, she would have to uh, do this. And then they have a different version of that uh, of that teaching. Um, but again, it's just, it's, it's, it's interesting to see that, in other words, they make this exception of the case of Yatomim, but the husband can essentially establish a precedent where she would not have to take a shvua at all. But now we get to an interesting Mishnah. Habogemet ketubata. So Anne and I went back and forth, right, Anne, about what exactly pogemet means. So in English, it says vitiate, which I definitely didn't know what that word was. And if Anne had to look up that word, which she did. <laughs> and Anne's my, We Anne's wanted to understand word. exactly the Now we do. You admit it. You had heard of that word before. 
I had heard of that word before. Okay, I had not heard but, of that word before. But, but, okay. no, but the point is, I also want to translate it here as messes with. And you, your data, thought that maybe that was less precise than we need. Yeah. So the wordsmith was like, oh, let's say messes with. But the idea is she did something with the ketubah. In other words, she's going to claim everyone's in agreement. There was like a some payment on the ketubah. So the board pagam is sort of like a... I don't know. How would you say if something has a pagam? It's like a... It can be a blemish. It can be something that invalidates. So there's something, but ketuba is not what it should be. There's some question about the validity of the ketuba. Basically, was it fully paid? But she's responsible for it. Because look at the verb. It's hapogemic ketubata. She did something to her ketuba. Because she basically says, she she admits, I got some of the payment. Right? Lo tipara ela bishrua. She could only collect payment on the rest of the ketuba. If she takes an oath, let's say one witness comes and says that the ketubah was paid. She can collect it if she takes a shruah. Um, let's say she wants to get a claim, you know, get money from her ketubah from property of orphans, from lean property, or when not in her husband's presence. So in all these cases, she has to basically take an oath. So now they're going to explain how does this actually happen? So her ketubah was a thousand dinars. Now, again, that's more than what the standard ketubah is, which is interesting. And he says to her, he says, you already got your marriage contract. The he married. And she says, she says, no, I only got a hundred dinars. So in other words, they actually, they're getting divorced and there's a disagreement about whether or not she was actually paid. I mean, this basically just sounds like divorce court, right? Um, and then, uh, it, uh, you know, that's, you know, that's essentially. How do we have this case that there's one who testifies that it was paid, right? I talk to Bata El of Zeus. Again, her Ketubah's El of Zeus, but Amarla, he's Kabbalt this witness says you were paid. She says, I wasn't. Sorry, the husband says you were paid. She says she wasn't. And even if one witness comes, says that she was paid, she still is allowed to take a shroud. How about from lean property? Right? So if they're married, while they're married, the husband sells his property to other people. And then she comes to collect her marriage contract from the purchasers. Because remember, he has to make sure he has enough money to pay the ketubah. She can only collect it with no. In other words, she can actually seize the property from the purchaser because her husband already had a previous obligation. The first obligation was to pay her ketubah once that ketubah is signed. The second obligation is towards the purchaser. How about the property of orphans? He dies, he leaves the property to his children, right? To the orphans. She wants to get her ketubah still, which she's entitled to upon death, from the yitomim. Again, she can only collect with an oath. What about if he's in her presence? So this case is very interesting. He goes somewhere overseas. And he's basically, the idea is he must have sent her a bill of divorce, right? Like he, I don't know, decides to stay there, doesn't want to be married to her anymore. Um, so she has to collect the get not with him there, right? And again, it's 
it's, you know, uh, again, this isn't that it's pogem. It's not that she collected partially. It's it, She just has to take a note that she never received it at all. In a nifarate ela bishwat, she can only collect with an oath. Rabbi Shimon Omer, Rabbi Shimon says, Kolzman shehid tobat ketubata. Whenever she claims any type of payment on her marriage contract, hayoshim shabim ota. The heirs get to make her administer an oath. But if she does not claim payment of her marriage contract, then there's no oath that actually has to happen. So a very, very interesting Mishnah that gets into some of the like practicalities of how this was actually collected when there's a little bit of a different set of circumstances. Either a claim that, uh, you know, that it was paid by the husband or, by, or backed up with an aide either uh, that she has to get the property from lean property or from orphans, or that she has to collect a ketubah without the husband actually there. So I'm going to actually pick up now on the Gemara and exactly this part that I find to be so complicated. And the Gemara doesn't um, make it less complicated, put it that way. Um, okay. It also, Yordana, goes back to what you had spoken about at the beginning of today's episode, namely the oaths, right? Somebody who's taking an oath and how that's going to line up with this Mishnah Again, the Gemara preceding the Mishnah lines up um, topically with the Mishnah itself. The Gemara that follows, though, kind of presupposes that we already have this information. Okay, so that the Gemara right afterwards talks about exactly this. You know, what do you? How do you treat the oath that is taken by this woman who has indeed vitiated her ketubah? Right, as I say, she's messed with it, and now are you going to accept that oath and and? To what extent? I'm going to jump down after that. Um, the Gemara says, We have a dilemma, right? They came before the sages to ask, in this case, what happens if you're not suspicious that the woman has um, messed with her ketubah and therefore she needs to take an oath? Rather, this was done in the front of witnesses, right? So you know that she's gotten... Um, She's accepted a partial payment. When she's accepted a partial payment, that is indeed, as I say, messing with the terms of the ketubah. So now what's supposed to happen? So what happens? Do we say that his, do we say that he has, if it's the case that there were witnesses, does that mean that he really paid the whole rest of the ketubah? Or would he also have paid the rest of the ketubah in front of the witnesses since there are witnesses for the partial part of payment, but he doesn't have witnesses? So does that mean she never got the other part? Or that she simply that it was simply not in front of witnesses? Right? And that's that's the tricky part, right? Because because this that's where it falls into this. He said, she said, because is she trying to put one over and say, I never got the second part because there were no witnesses. It's just his word against hers. Or, you know, again, did she um, did she never get it? And therefore, it's really all on the up and up. And when she says, and then when he says, I already paid you, it's he's trying to get out of it. Meaning, either he's trying to get out of it, out of paying altogether, that second part, or she's trying to get paid double, right? If they're not, because they're arguing, right? They're not telling, somebody here is not telling the truth. Um, okay. So the Gemara goes on and wants to bring a proof from uh, from the Mishnah in Shavuot, which we'll get to eventually. Please, God. Tashma. And it shouldn't surprise people that when we're going to talk about Shavuot, which is not about the holiday of Shavuot, but about 
Anybody who takes an oath that is required by the Torah, you take that oath, and then by the virtue of the fact that you've taken that oath, you don't pay. You don't have to pay. You're you're paying. You know you're you're saying with such sincerity that you're taking an oath in the name of Hashem and and by Torah law that you do not have to pay. Then your willingness to take an oath um, speaks loudly enough and to the truth of it, the matter, let's say, and you don't have to pay. Nobody assumes in this kind of case that the person is lying under oath, right? That the oath itself might be false. And then there's a category of people who, in fact, would take an oath and also um, would get paid. Who is that? So what happens? This is we're talking about a hired worker who wants to get paid by his employer, right? So he takes the oath that he has not been paid and therefore gets paid. Likewise, um, someone who was robbed, right? And he's claiming that he didn't that he's the the oath is that yes, indeed he was robbed and he wasn't compensated um, afterwards by the robber. Somebody who was injured, right, and then says that the, he's supposed to get compensation from the person who caused the damage. Um, likewise, there are certain, certain cases within a, a case of litigants, right, where each might, in fact, need to take an oath. And then, depending on those terms, one might actually get paid. A storekeeper who makes a claim on the basis of whatever he has written down in his accounts book. Pinkasso is his notebook, but it means the accounts book, but there's a proper name for that. Um, and then, likewise, somebody receives a partial payment of his document, but it wasn't in front of witnesses. So this case of Masachat Shavuot, which is not about a ketubah, it's really about um, people who are arguing over how much has been paid when somebody owed money, let's say, then somebody who, again, who vitiates the contract, who only partially paid the contract. Um, or partially accepted payment for the contract, rather, and that was not in front of Edim, and now not in front of witnesses, and now what are you going to do? So the the conclusion then is that if the payment were done not in the presence of witnesses, then yes, that person would have to take an oath, but if it was payment, if the payment was done in the presence of witnesses, then no, that person would not be obligated to take an oath, and let's take that in par- and you know draw the parallel to the Ketubah and presume then that indeed it is made in the presence of witnesses, then she should not have to take an oath. And if it was made in the presence of witnesses, it was if there were no witnesses there, then she would presumably, theoretically anyway, have to take an oath. Except for the fact that the Gemara doesn't like this argument because so the Gemara says, no, that Mishnah is talking about the moment you say, you're always talking about a case where you shouldn't really need eight. You, you're not, you don't really have to state that, right? To say that you need witnesses or not. Usually a ketubah is not, I don't know if a ketubah is usually paid in the presence of witnesses, but it shouldn't be relevant, right? Why she, the question is whether she requires an oath. If you're going to say, that part of it was paid in the presence of witnesses, then of course she needs to take the oath because part of it was paid and part of it was not. But if the but if the partial payment was not in the presence of witnesses, then maybe you could say, well, it's just like Hashavat Avida. It's like he's giving her lost property. It's not that it's a, a formal payment that requires testimony or eyewitnesses, right? Um, in this case, says the Gemara, 
when we have no witnesses that he paid anything. And she says that, yes, indeed, she did get some of it, right? So then that's, again, the, the comparison lines up fairly nicely with a lost item. And then the question is, can she get the rest of the money that she says that she is owed without taking an oath? Because likewise, for Ahashavad Aveda, you know, you don't take an oath if you didn't get all of it back. And so therefore, Kamash Milan, this, the, the claim is that in this case, woman would need to take the oath that she still should be getting paid. Um, as I said to begin with, I find this to be complicated. Look, I think all these cases are complicated because it's just these are the messy situations. Like, it's not the straightforward, oh, get divorced, oh, he died, here's your ketubah. These are like, uh, you know, these are the messiness of life. It's like where things get a little bit more interesting. I think we're going to see that there's going to be a lot more time spent on the collection of the ketubah than the actual writing of the ketubah. Oh, yes. I think that's also interesting. Right. Like the collecting is what's interesting. Like the fact that they need the document. Great. You get it. But the collecting of it is what's becoming really interesting here. Um, and the fact that it can be done in part. Right. Meaning if we're talking about the era when you just had one item and that was the valuable item and you handed it over before it was a matter of value, then she can't say, well, I got half of the what the half of the necklace half of the samovar whatever it is right she has to be able to say i only got part of the payment we're already talking about the era long after shimon ben Shetach, and they're figuring out exactly how you know that kind of contradiction in, in between husband and wife how how to play it out well that's our dap discussion for the day rank us review us on all major podcasts thank you to revenue michelle farber for hosting us on the hadron website let us know what you thought about this stuff on our Talking Talmud Facebook page. And until tomorrow, go and watch.